Spirit Radio Podcasts. Now, how much of the news do you think that gets to you is truly accurate? Earlier this week, I mentioned an article by Robert Fisk uh, that was published in the Irish Independent. And he's a respected Middle East commentator. He was comparing the furore over an alleged chemical gas attack in Idlib province in Syria that was widely blamed on the Assad government and the lack of reaction to a suicide car bomb attack at the weekend on evacuees who were being being bussed out of uh, villages close to Aleppo. Now, Mr. Fisk's conclusion was, to the West, some Syrian babies' lives are worth more than others. And that's quite a thing to say. Our next guest is on the ground in Syria and has been looking into both of these attacks. On the line to tell us more, I'm delighted to have investigative journalist Vanessa Bealey. Vanessa, you're very welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Tom. Good to be back on. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Well, first of all, Vanessa, can you tell us where you've been over the past week? Yeah, well, I mean, I arrived in Syria last week um, and actually we headed pretty quickly up to uh, Aleppo. Um, so, so basically, at, at that point, to sort of continue speaking to civilians who'd, who'd um, been liberated in December 2016, um, when I was last in Aleppo. But actually, the evening we arrived um, was the day that this uh, incredible, uh, hideous crime was committed against um, basically unarmed uh, refugees in the Rashtin Center. Um, and the following day, uh, I was actually able to go to Jabrin, which is an area in East Aleppo where the survivors uh, had been taken uh, for refuge. So I was able to actually speak to the mothers and the relatives uh, of the children who had been injured and massacred on the day before, and also to the bus drivers themselves and to various other witnesses who were who were there when the actual um, event took place. And you know, I, I entirely agree with um, Robert Fisk's conclusion here. Um, what we saw uh, was appears to be a prefabricated, a planned massacre of these children um, by known sectarian actors inside Syria, primarily Nusra Front, which is Al-Qaeda, Arar Sham, which is a NATO and Gulf state-funded terrorist faction, extremist faction, that has not actually officially been designated a terrorist um, organization by the United States, but has, however, carried out some of the most appalling ethnic cleansing programs and atrocities against Syrian civilians, including in two villages, Zara and Nubal, where they massacred um, hundreds of, again, Shia Muslim villages um, last year. And even leading up to this event in December 2016, Evacuees from uh, these same uh, villages, Kafrai and Four, which are in Idlib countryside, they are Shia villages uh, marooned in Idlib countryside, which is um, entirely occupied by Nusra Front, Arasham, Fastakim, Noradanzinki, all of them terrorist and, and, and militant extremist factions. They've been under siege for two years. In December, um, there was another evacuation deal underneath the amnesty, Syrian government amnesty and reconciliation program. Um, but at that point, the buses that went to Kafrayim Four to collect the injured uh, evacuees from those villages um, were actually burned. And at that time, um, the same terrorists that were in Rashtin or the same factions were filmed um, calling for their extermination, for their destruction. Um, along sectarian lines, calling for them as infidels to be uh, exterminated. 
Right. So it is really no surprise that this attack happened in the Rashtin area, which is an area um, to which uh, these various militant factions were evacuated from East Aleppo in December. Um, and what effectively happened, according to all the testimonies that I, that I heard from witnesses, from survivors, from mothers, from relatives who were at the scene, um, was that the, the buses brought around 5,000 civilians from Kafra and Fura, which is normally a 40-minute journey. It took them seven hours because they were diverted into terrorist-held villages where they were met with menaces, confrontation, threats. Um, so they were already psychologically traumatized by the time they arrived in Rashtin. In Rashtin, they were brought in by into the terrorist-held area. They were kept on the buses for 48 hours. The men were not allowed off at all. They had light weapons with them for protection under the Amnesty and Reconciliation deal. Those were taken away from them. So they had no means to protect themselves in, an, in a terrorist-held compound. Um, women, were, women and children were allowed off during that time to go to the toilet. The men were not allowed off. They were given uh, food rations, so they were effectively deprived of food, having already been deprived of food for the previous two years under siege. Um, and then on the day of the explosion in the morning, um, the children were allowed off, and men came with transparent bags full of crisps and chips. Now, I've experienced in, in, this, in Aleppo last year, in December, when these children who have been deprived of food in, in, in Aleppo for four and a half years are, are presented with biscuits and crisps, they go crazy. And that's exactly what happened. They poured off the buses, they followed the man, they took the chips. This lasted around 10 minutes. Then they were put back on the buses. Um, then in the afternoon, about 10 minutes before the explosion, one woman told me she asked to be allowed off to get some medicine from the Syrian Arab Red Crescent, who were waiting to take them into the hospitals and, and the refugee centers in Aleppo. She was told by the terrorists that, no, they'd been told to go away. Another point that was made by both the drivers and um, the mothers, the relatives, um, the various witnesses, was that, um, bizarrely, four Turkish, they knew they were Turkish from the lettering on the side, four Turkish ambulances had arrived and parked up right near the scene of the bombing um, very shortly before it. Again, this is the wording of um, the witnesses, is that it was almost as if it were pre-planned. Um, so uh, then, uh, literally, again, about 10 minutes before the detonation um, of the, whether it was a truck, whether it was a suicide bomber, was still not absolutely clear. Um, the children were again allowed off. The men again had arrived um, with the transparent bags full of chips. So the children again, as they had done in the morning, um, swarmed towards the food. And at that point, um, the, the explosion happened. Um, the, the extraordinary thing then that I was told by again, one mother, Zainab, who, who still had 10 members of her family missing after the event, told me that um, very odd after that, the mothers who, who were still on the buses were then allowed off for about 10 minutes. And in her words, she said, they filmed us almost as if they were saving us, and then they forced us back on the buses. So they didn't actually allow them to get to their injured relatives, particularly their children. They put them back on the buses, they locked the buses, and at gunpoint, they prevented uh, the drivers from taking the buses to a more protected area. The, the drivers told me they wanted to put the buses under the trees so that if there were another detonation, they had some form of protection. And the terrorists forced them to stay where they were. They locked the mothers of these children on the buses. So if we can try to imagine how appalling this must have been for the mothers of these children to be watching their mutilated, wounded, dying, injured children on the ground in front of them and to be unable to get to them. And then to actually see 
um, the terrorist factions, Nusra Front and Al Sham, and the White Helmets, helping these terrorist factions to to basically fling these children's bodies, dead and dying, into trucks, into these ambulances, and to remove these bodies from the area, so to take them away from their families and their mothers who are still locked on on, on the buses. I mean, this is this is it's just an extraordinarily um, horrific event that is, as Robert Fisk quite rightly said, has been reported in the corporate media. I mean, CNN described this as a hiccup, as a hiccup. So the massacre of 116 children and, and uh, up to um, 200 total civilians, a hiccup, innocent civilians, innocent children. But, but the comparing... The ran... Yeah. Sorry? I was just going to say comparing... The telegraph ran yeah. with a line which described these children as government supporters. So effectively, the Telegraph dehumanized children. It dehumanized this massacre, this slaughter, this carnage of children as being government supporters. They've actually, since I, since I mentioned this on various programs, they've actually removed that from the article, but we screenshot it. So, mm. yes, you know, again, Frisk is absolutely correct. Somehow, the lives of these children who are described as Syrian government supporters and even if they were Syrian government supporters, does that mean they're any less human? Hmm. You know, I mean, this is this is an extraordinary level of of criminal uh, actual support and promotion of of terrorist sectarian killing in Syria. Yeah, and, and how does it how does it compare to the yeah, how does it compare to the gas attack? Talk to me about that because that was what well, like I mean, the fourth of April. Yeah. So so that was yeah. widely covered. You had Ivanka Trump saying, yeah. "Oh, as a mother, something must be done." And then you had this uni- unilateral decision by the states to bomb yeah. a, an airbase. Talk to me about that. Well, I mean, um, I'll, I'll try to, to go through this very quickly, but let's look at the sequence of events that led to this um, it, alleged chemical weapon attack, because we have to say that this has not been remotely investigated as an attack. Um, but leading up to that event, we had the U.S. administration, Tillerson, basically making the announcement that Assad should stay. So putting a huge spanner in the six-year war against Syria and with the objective of regime change in Syria. We then saw a a huge dissatisfaction from actually the British government, both in the media and from government statements, against this um, U.S. administration, effective support of Assad staying as the elected president of Syria. Um, We then saw uh, the White Helmets, who are a predominantly British-funded organization, acting, as we know from witness testimony in December in Aleppo, as uh, support for Nusra Front, for al-Qaeda inside Syria, um, create this uh, chemical weapon attack in Idlib, which is a Nusra Front, al-Qaeda-held area. Han Shahun is a white helmet center run by a guy, Mustafa Al-Aj Youssef, who has known affiliation to al-Sham, to al-Qaeda, to ISIS, to various terrorist factions. We know that he has committed and called for atrocities against the Syrian people on a sectarian basis. So these are the people who have created, if you like, this narrative, which has then generated what I call ISIS diplomacy from governments in the West. We've seen Boris Johnson recently calling for the decapitation of President Assad. Based on what? There has been no independent investigation of this chemical weapon attack. If we have a car crash anywhere in the world, it is independently investigated by experts through our insurance companies. And yet, when we have an event that threatens to precipitate escalated conflict, world war, we are, we are allowing or we are seeing 
the leaders of countries in the West, particularly President Trump, acting illegally under international law, committing an act of aggression against the sovereign nation by firing the 59 Tomahawk missiles into Syria on the basis of, of an un, un, uninvestigated incident, when we know for a fact that Syria, at the time of the attack, were making huge advances against the terrorist factions inside Syria. Mm. They were, um, as I said, politically, they were being, um, if you like, uh, more supported by the U.S. administration with the announcement from Tillerson that Assad should stay. So we were seeing, actually, the Syrian government, the Syrian state, and the Syrian army making huge advances in the six-year conflict. So why, at this point, would they use chemical weapons when, in fact, also the OPCW had already made a statement many times that they had been divested of over 95% of their chemical weapon capacity after the 2013, now hugely discredited, chemical attacking. Mm. And, we and, also know yeah. that the terrorist factions had access to chemical weapons. Yeah, so, so it looks, it looks well super... Do- who's driving this, Vanessa? This is, this is the big question, because it just seems as if there's a narrative here which you're explaining extremely well, that's you know we're not we're not hearing what's actually going on. Uh, there's effectively a support for Al Nusra. There's a support uh, for Daesh, and but coming from the West, and people don't fully realise it. But whose 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 motivation is it to really to 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 put fa- to fan the flame of this war? Because surely that surely wow. Donald Trump, in his heart of hearts, has said you know for example looking at him that he doesn't want war in Syria. So who's who is uh, convincing him? Well, I mean, yes, again, we're seeing what I believe we're seeing is a very clear um, civil war in the United States between the deep state, the CIA, the intelligence agencies, Pentagon, versus the U.S. administration. And what we saw um, was that Tillerson's announcement that Assad should stay triggered a sequence of events. It it triggered the, the, the hostility of the British government towards even the U.S. administration policy to some to a huge extent. We saw articles immediately afterwards. And I think what we saw was pressure being put upon Trump to, to, to basically come back into line and to continue um, with the regime change objective, with the destabilization of Syria. You know, Syria is, is the hub of the region to a huge extent. Oh, yeah. Traditionally... Well, who's, who's driving the Brits? I mean, what, what's, their, what, what's the motivation? Is it, is it, I mean, you, you talk about misinformation in the press, uh, clearly potentially really not doing their job. But who, uh, who is driving the narrative? The, the, I mean, the narrative is being driven um, by particularly, initially by the government, but then it is being supported um, by the corporate uh, NATO state-aligned media, so the, what I consider to be the state media, um, the state-aligned NGOs who are also running with the narrative. The UN, to a large extent, is supporting the narrative. So what we are seeing is an entire complex that is being arrayed against Syria to promote and to amplify um, the narratives that support further intervention, further escalation of a proxy conflict inside Syria, further destabilization on an economic level, a military level um, inside Syria, and of course, ultimately, the toppling of the Syrian government and then mm. the creation yet again of the same vacuum that we saw created in Libya, which reduced Libya to a failed state yeah. and, and you know, reduced it from being a strong, independent, sovereign nation. Mm. Um, and when we look at, at Syria's allies, when we look at its alliance with Russia, its long-standing alliance with Iran, um, its alliance with Iran, of course, will, will not be... Uh, 
compliant with with Israel's uh, agenda in the region, uh, it's and also with Saudi Arabia, a known ally of the United States and the UK. Thirty uh, percent, I think, of uh, Saudi Arabia imports come from the UK. So they're not only a military partner um, with the with the UK supplying uh, their military industrial complex, but they're also an of economic partner for the for the UK. So we're seeing protection of economic interests here, um, both in Syria and external to Syria, where there are allies who benefit from the destabilization. Mm. Yeah, well, and, it's a and, very complex yeah. situation. And is it is it something you know? You talk about the, the economic benefits. Is the is the West really losing its moral compass in 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 this whole area over the last ten years? I mean, perhaps since the Iraq War, and the kind of conflicts that are being engaged in, with with regards to you know engaging in this dodgy regime change, uh, rather than engaging perhaps in just conflict. Look, um, I'll give you a very clear example. Um, a week before I came to Syria, I attended a conference in London, a two-day conference, to which were invited uh, Syrian opposition members, members of the government, mem- supporters of the government, all strata, you know, society strata. At the end of those two days, the Syrians in that room found resolution. They found ways forward. What we are doing as NATO states is actually preventing that Syrian resolution, because we are intervening. We are intervening medic. Oh, sorry, medically. we are intervening militarily via proxies, terrorist factions that we have infiltrated into Syria. We have recruited from all over the world, and we have um, put into Syria on the ground in Syria who are carrying out atrocities against the Syrian people. Yeah. Our governments are imposing economic sanctions, which I would call economic terrorism, because they are not affecting the government they are affecting the people they're preventing humanitarian aid they're preventing medical aid for these people who have been under a six-year war we are conducting a campaign of media terrorism as i would call it amplifying the voices of the terrorists and muting and 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 completely erasing and disappearing the voices of the syrian people the majority of the syrian people who support their government their state their allies and the Syrian army in its efforts to cleanse their country mm. of these terrorist factions. It, well, so has it, yeah. the West lost its moral compass? I think it's way more than lost it. I think it's buried it and forgotten it long ago. And yeah. we, as right. the people, need to actually show them um, what needs doing here. And, and, you know, initially we need to stop the sanctions and we need to get out of Syria. We need to allow Syria to resolve its own issues as a sovereign nation. Yeah, talk to me about um, talk to me about the Christians, uh, Vanessa. What are the Christians experiencing in Syria at the moment? Well, what they're actually effectively um, witnessing, you know, uh, Syria has always traditionally been a secular country. It's been a country where Christians, where all uh, Muslim sects, live alongside each other in peace. We witnessed this in Aleppo when the terrorist factions had been removed. Uh, we witnessed the coming together of the people of Aleppo for Christmas, both Muslim and Christian, celebrating together. Um, that is that is the, the essence of Syria, is this ability to live together under a secular state. What the West is effectively trying to do is to remove the secular state, socialist state, free education, free health care, and replace it with what? An Islamic caliphate, with a, with a, with a Muslim brother, brotherhood extremist state, that will take this, you know, this unbelievably historically important country um, back to the Dark Ages. So that is what the West is trying to impose. And part of that is, of course, it's going to inevitably lead to, to the exodus of the various minorities, both the Muslim minorities, but the Christian minorities, which is incredibly important. You know, the Christian 
um, sex in, in, in the Middle East are part of that fabric, the tapestry of society, particularly in Syria. And what is effectively happening because of this proxy war that is being waged against Syria by our government, those Christian minorities, for example, in Aleppo, um, it's over 50% of the communities there that left. Why? Because they were terrified of these terrorist factions coming into to West Aleppo that was under government control, because had they entered, they knew that that would have entailed massacres of their community, as it has done throughout Syria. Look at Malula. You know, this, uh, this was uh, the town where they still speak Aramaic um, that was taken over by Nusra Front and the so-called moderates, the Free Syrian Army, in 2013. Um, young men in the village, three young men, uh, were trapped in their house. Uh, they were told to convert to Islam. They refused, and they were shot in the head, one after the other, in front of each other and in front of their families. Um, and various other atrocities were carried out in that village. It was finally retaken in 2014. But this is a familiar story. So, so what we are saying, we cannot take away our government's responsibility for the ethnic cleansing of, of the minority communities inside Syria mm. by the imposition of these terrorist factions, these, these, fundamentally, these fundamentalist Islamic factions yeah. that are funded by the Gulf states, by Saudi Arabia, by Qatar, by Turkey, controlled by Turkey, mm. um, who, who effectively want a Syria that is cleansed of all, as they term them, infidels. So we are seeing our government's policies deeply affecting the tapestry of, of the Syrian society and threatening the Christian communities that, that have existed in this country for, for centuries. I mean, mm. we went to Cracta Chevalier Castle. We saw uh, the, the monastery where there is the, the notification from Prophet Muhammad uh, saying uh, to all Muslims that the Christians are protected in this land, that they should be allowed to build their churches. We, everywhere in Syria, we see mosques and churches alongside each other. That's a common occurrence. So, as I say again, our, it is our government, through their um, interventionist foreign policy, their neocon foreign policy, that are destroying, tearing apart the fabric of the society and thus destroying the very Christian communities that they are claiming to want to protect. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting and fascinating to hear uh, you, you speak about it, Vanessa, and uh, I do hope we'll be, we'll be talking again. And thank you so much for joining right. us today. Thanks for listening to our Spirit Radio podcast. Don't miss out. Subscribe today. Find out how at spiritradio.ie.